Good morning. And once again, happy Mother's Day. I have a passage to share with you that is, uh, I didn't realize was connected to the things that we've been talking about the past few weeks. But uh, in some ways, I was a bit surprised to receive this word. And I'm going to just share it to you directly as I have heard it, yes? Uh, and it's found in, Matthew, in Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. I receive this word the same way I often receive uh, my devotions. I always pray, ask God to, to, to impress upon me a passage. I may not know what's in the passage often, but when I turn to it, then the Holy Spirit will speak to me. And I feel that I have a word uh, for today as well. Um, and it's in Luke chapter 13. It's not a, a long passage. It's a short passage. But it does um, line up with a lot of what has been spoken during the worship today. Um, are you ready? Luke chapter 13, we'll be reading from the ESV. And it's from verse 6. All right, there we go. And he said, and he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also. Give it a year. Until I dig around it and put on manure. Then it should bear fruit next year. And then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. Yeah. But if not, then you can cut it down. You can be either disturbed about this passage or you can be comforted by this passage. I'm comforted by this passage. Because it tells me about the fact that there is time. And that God gives us time. The good news is, things are not too late. And God is on time. Now He calls us to be on time. And so, let's have a look at this. The man who was the owner of the, of the vineyard um, was expecting fruit. He had come three for the past three years and he had looked for, at the fig tree for fruit and found none. Now, I don't believe that there was anything wrong with the seed because in those days, what happens is that uh, the, the farmers would actually have choice seeds. The seeds would have gone through a process of vetting and improvement and improvement and, 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 uh, and uh, so much so that by the time a choice tree is planted in the vineyard, and usually these trees, these fig trees would be, be planted on the perimeter of the vineyard. In the middle would be the vines. And then around, uh, near the vines, around the, the perimeter would be fig trees. Yeah, it would be fig trees. And, uh, and these fig trees would usually be of proper seed. Yeah, proper seed. But for some reason, this man had come for the past three years and found that there was no fruit. There was no fruit. Uh, the King James Version says, I do not want to cumber the ground. I don't want to cumber the ground. What he was saying is this, to cumber the ground would actually be to draw nutrients and resources from the ground that would uh, deplete the ground by it being cumbered by, by, this, uh, by, by the tree. And so what the man, who's a good businessman, decides, well, he says, this is what I'm going to do. If it doesn't produce fruit, I'm just going to cut it down, you know? I'm not necessarily uh, uh, linking the man or equating the man with Jesus or God and all that. I'm just saying the man sounds like a very good businessman. He's a person who's, who's, who's bound by realities, the realities of life. And if the fig tree doesn't produce, it just cuts it down. That's all. Because he doesn't want other plants or other uh, trees to be uh, overly taxed or cumbered. By the, by the fig tree that's unfruitful. But there is this character that comes into the, into the mix and inserts himself into it. He's probably the vine dresser. He is the vine dresser. And he says, give it one more year. 
give it one more year. What I'll do is that I will dig around in the ground and then I'll put manure in it. I don't know what the fig tree thinks about putting manure in it or digging around it, but it's to save it. And so he says, give me one year, I'm going to dig around it, and then I'll put manure on it. And if it doesn't produce fruit, you can cut it down. But I have this year of grace that I will give to the, the, the fig tree. What's hopeful to me is this, that God is always on time. God always knows what the times are. And there are several weeks ago when we said, the best is yet to come, after everything's kind of gone through its times up. Remember we said that? There is still time. And some of us think, are, th- are thinking, I've gone past time already. It's just too late for me and there's nothing I can do about it. And it's not. The, be- the best news about this is that the Bible says, as long as it is now, okay, as long as you can call today, today, there is time. There may not be a lot of time, but there is time. There will come a time when there is no time. That time ha- has not come yet. But when you read a passage like this, you think, well, we have time, but it's not time for us to be indolent or be lazy or to, to be procrastinating. There is a certain urgency as well as hope. And so I hope you will receive this in this way, that we need to be able to see as precious the grace that God gives to us, something we don't deserve, something that is urgent, something that God understands is much more weighty and much, has much more in it than we even realize. Yes? And so what I want to put, it to, what put to you is this, that uh, we are living in what we call um, supernatural or divine time, in which it may be that in the natural, things are just moving along and there is no time. But in God, there is provision made for us. Perhaps you feel that you wasted your life or perhaps you feel you're too old for whatever it is you're wanting to do, uh, bungee jumping or whatever it is. And God says, no, it's not necessarily pastime. For some of us, we are in situations in which we feel guilty and feel hopeless that we can't cope with the little time that we have in order for us to catch up on things. And what I feel is that it's important for us to understand that this amount of time that we have is characterized by two things, two processes that the Lord will, give, will do upon us, can do upon us in our lives. This time of special time of grace in which God will make us fruitful. Yeah, make us fruitful, not desolate, not barren, but fruitful. These two things are characterized by digging and manuring. You're going to be manured. <laughs> You're going to be dug. There's a, something that's going to take place that is already taking place, and I'm counting on that because if, I, if, if it hasn't happened to you, you may find that this has absolutely no relevance to you. But I'm counting on the fact that if God says that He's digging and He is manuring you, you are already experiencing it. We don't like it. But it is the grace of God. It is something wonderful that God is happening, causing to happen. And it goes against the grain of things that have settled around our fig tree. The digging is necessary because there's a way in which the ground settles and then it gets depleted. And all the things start happening upon the ground that, needs, that cause the ground to need to be dug up. Thorns and thistles begin to infest the ground. Rocks begin to, to somehow find their ways. Stones, pebbles and all that on the ground. The very things that Jesus in the parable of the sower, the, the seed and the sower, was talking about, begin to infest the ground. But I'd like to talk especially about there's something that settles into the ground. There's something about the, the way in which the ground settles and gets compacted by time. Yes? It gets time, it gets hardened, it gets clumpy, and then it gets hardened, and it becomes to choke the ground, to choke the, 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 the tree. 
And the only thing you can do is to actually dig up the ground so that the ground will reverse that trend, that trend to actually settle into a certain form, a certain kind of shape, and a certain kind of compactness that is not good for the tree. Yeah? And that's something that happens to us all the time that causes us to keep on doing the same thing and find that it doesn't work and we become unfruitful in that. So I'd like to talk about that. Let's pray. Lord, we welcome you, welcome your presence to come and water us, so to speak. If you are doing this work in us and we are not aware of what it means, this digging, this disruption, this awkwardness, this way in which things that we wish would hold together now do not hold together because of that digging. If it is true that the, the work of manuring that's meant to enrich us offends us, we ask you that you would set us free from those feelings, Lord, we pray. We ask you that even now, now you will come and speak to us and cause us to be set free from the status quo of settled, choking, hardened places in our heart. We ask you that you make us fruitful and cause us to be set free. In Jesus' name, Amen. God is digging around you and sparing you and me from being cut down. And as long as we are responding to that, we are responding to the a season of grace in which God is doing um, important things in our life. Yeah? So there's, there's, this, there's this way in which at least four things, I think, I'm, as, I'm, as I'm looking from the, from the text, uh, happen when uh, a tree gets too settled. Yeah? And I've mentioned it. There's a settling of the ground and, make, and a hardening of the ground around it. Secondly, there are roots and thorns that choke the root of the tree. And that is why um, in the Mishnah, the, the Jewish texts that admittedly were, were put into writing 200 years after, after Jesus' time, but which were passed down by oral tradition, uh, there is this phrase that's always, uh, always uh, talked about, dig about it and dung it, dig about it and dung it. So when Jesus was speaking about digging about it and, and dunging it, this is something that was a tradition that the people in his time understood from the rabbis. Of course, all this was oral tradition. Yeah? But there's a way in which digging about it and, and dunging it was important. And the digging about it in many of the rabbis' uh, comments uh, were to find the root, to expose the root of the tree to expose things that are there that are not the root of the tree, but the roots of something else. And what God does is that He digs and dungs us to expose where the root is, what roots we are actually going to. So there's the settling, there's roots and, and, and thorns that need to be dug out. There are stones that need to be dug out. And there is a depletion of the ground that needs to be taken care of. Yeah? There's a depletion of the ground that needs to be taken care of. And these are some of the things that God's doing. I'll put it to you that this, this process is something we're all going through. And perhaps it may be helpful for you to, this morning to be able to get a picture of what God is actually doing that may be awkward for you or painful for you, but He's just digging in. He's just, he's just, he's just mixing it up. And you notice during the worship, there were two things that came up. You know, there was awakening. Yes? for us to awaken, and there's a way in which things were just stirring up, yeah? And I feel that uh, as we look at this word, um, God is speaking to us. There's something about the way in which we can settle into a new normal that's an abnormal normal. We can settle into the abnormal normal. What say you? When I was having my sabbatical, I was disturbed 
by the fact that during that sabbatical, many um, Christian ministers and artists around the age of 65 or 64 were dying. They were dying. And just the thought of them dying, and, you know, Carmen, for example, died uh, in 2021. Um, and several others in their 60s died. When I was growing up, they were considered really young. And suddenly I find myself as old as them, and they died. <laughs> it's kind of disturbing. So I sought the Lord about this during my sabbatical, and I said, and the Lord gave me passages of Scripture that He was going to prolong my life. I think that's great. I would love that. But one of the important things that happened during this, this kind of disturbance is that the Lord was speaking to me that I need to take care of health, take care of my health. In all, all the different ways that we know about, right? And so I decided I'm going to start working, going to the dentist and just doing all that I need to do. And then I decided I was going to have a, have, have, visit my, my um, uh, family medicine doctor and, and get checkups and doing all that. And as I did that, it was fine. The dentist was great. I love dentists in America. There's no tension at all. No fear. Don't you find that? No fear of going to a dentist. The dentist works so hard so that you will not have pain. Sometimes I think, okay, it's all right. It's all right. Don't worry about that. In Malaysia, when you, take a, when you have a filling, there is no anesthesia that's given. You just do it. But that's normal. Huh? Did I miss something? In Malaysia, I, even when I was living in England, I've been to the dentist several times and he did fill, the fillings, but there was no anesthesia. I don't know how it is now, Richard, but... Uh, Planner is okay, okay. During my day, no anesthesia. But I... I I have no, no stress at all visiting the, dent, the dentist. Then I went and visited my doctor, and my doctor did all the, the blood panels and all that, and said, you may have cancer. You may have cancer of the prostate because your PSA level is very high. It was 17. It was 17. And that began a process that I have been going through that has stirred up and dug up places in my life in which I realized I had settled down to certain things that were dangerous. I was dangerous. And I found out a lot of things about myself during that period because as I went through the, the, the test, the first thing that the doctor let me, let me just tell you how off I was, okay? I went to see the doctor, and, he, and she came out with the results, okay? And the first thing she said is, you need to go and see a urologist because your PSA is very high. I was actually offended by the way she spoke. You know what I mean? She... But I'm sure that if she did not speak that way, I would be lulled into thinking, all right, it's okay. But the Lord has spoken to me during the, my, uh, my uh, sabbatical. And seeing her, she was so on it that she would not let me go. And I went to see the do doctor, and I realized that my life would never be the same again, for the, at least for the next few years. From that time onwards, I lived under the shadow of cancer. And when it began to be confirmed that I had cancer, I remember thinking, things will never be the same again. I was not looking forward to, to the way my life was going to be the next one or two years because I 
heard about all the things that happen when you are and you go through cancer. And then I realized as we went through these appointments that the Lord was saving me. And if I did not respond to the awkwardness and I had not been jolted awake, <coughs> I would be in a completely different situation today or tomorrow. It only was a matter of time. <coughs> but I realized that there was something in me that wanted things to remain the same, to remain as status quo. And because of that, for a moment, I was more troubled by the doctor than by cancer. There is a way in which I was asleep and I needed to be awakened. When someone wakes you up, you do not like that person. Don't you think? I do not like people who wake me up, but sometimes they need to wake me up. And what happened for me was that <coughs> I entered into this period, and it was, I believe it was my birthday, and I remember going out for my birthday with the family and all that, and I, was, and I had to work, struggle hard to just be there, be there and being present on this, this happy day and not be covered by the cloud of what, what I was expecting. But it was in this place that God was waking me up, not only to cancer, but waking me up to Him. I was surprised by the way I was react, responding and re, 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 reacting to this news of cancer because I found places of anxiety that I never knew existed in myself. Every day I had to wake up and, I had to, and, I, and, and, and every day I would feel the cloud of darkness over me the fact that I am one of those who had cancer. I'm one of those, actually. I'm one of those. I remember praying when I was a kid that I will never get cancer. And now I'm one of those. The, the thoughts that would come, I would have to pray through the morning so that I could just be able to be normal enough. And it's almost as if during that period, there was an inertia in me that did not want to wake up to what was going on. When God digs around us, it is not that comfortable, but it will save our life. It will save our life. It will save us from barrenness. But there's something about us today, as a collective race, human race, that has become so weakened and so settled, and so inert, that we do not respond easily to warnings. We are more afraid of the anxiety of a warning than the, than the thing that we are being warned about. And because of that, I believe that this, this era of, of, of the human race is going to be marked by something that's unique, and that is we don't respond to truth very well. We don't respond to truth. We respond to feelings better. So we don't respond to anything that sounds negative that disturbs our peace. We would rather be lulled than to be shown the urgency or the holiness or the power of God. And so we will find ourselves being warned and taking warning a lot later than most people of another generation. So I entered into this, and I got to tell you, I began to realize there were things in me that resisted anything that would make me anxious. I found that I was more anxious about anxiety than the very objective thing that I, people are supposed to be anxious about. I did not want to feel the absence of peace. But as a result of that, what I was holding on to was a false peace. I was holding on to calmness, but not peace that the Bible talks about. The Bible uses the word shalom to talk about peace. 
The shalom has to do with not just the feeling of, of, of being calm, but the, the reality of God's deliverance and God's victory and God's order and God's, the way God wants it to be, the way God has designed it. Shalom has to do with something bigger than just the feeling. But today we are people who have somehow been eroded spiritually to such an extent that we actually shy away from anything that makes us feel bad, any kind of alarm, any kind of stuff. That's why we, we persecute the, the what, do, what do you call that, the, the person who gives away, oh, what's the word? Um, it'll come back to me. The person who, who, who draws attention to corruption or whistleblower, that's right. The whistleblower, yes. We are more offended by the whistleblower than the issue. I see that that has tremendous effects upon our lives in the future because there's, there's something that has settled into us and that is that we find anxiety very, very difficult. We call this a mental health issue, but I think there are deeper roots of that, don't you think? There's a way in which we have been separated from the rock of our salvation. And what God wants to do is to reattach us to the rock. Because if not, we will find all kinds of ways in which we will avoid anxiety by plastering it over by, with untruth or closing our eyes. Hear no evil, see no evil, do no evil. You know that kind of thing. There is something about it that I found in myself. I saw elements of that. And I realized that I have to hit, hit it head on. During those days, we had daily prayer every day. And just to be there at daily prayer, Every day, whether it's my, my day off or not, to be there, I had to be in prayer. I had to be prayer just to turn up and to be an encouragement to everybody. But I myself was dying inside, you know? Not dying, I mean, well, yeah. Didn't, didn't mean to use that, that, that met metaphor. Inside, I was like struggling to stay awake. Awake, you know, to God, stay alive. But I found that there was a place between the objective danger that I was experiencing, the very thing I was fearing, and God's deliverance. So in prayer, I would pray for God's deliverance, right? For God's healing. I pray in the Spirit, I pray in the Spirit, and I pray for God's healing. In the midst of it, there are these tests and these biopsies and all these kinds of things that were, were telling me all kinds of bad news. And I'm praying for his deliverance. And here I am, right in the midst of that danger and in the deliverance. And I, and I wish I could be right there. But I was here. And I had biopsies to go to and CAT scans and all kinds of things. I had that. And do you know that in between where we are and our deliverance, there is a midpoint. In between, in the meantime, in the in-between time, God has tremendous riches for us. The riches are this, that He, because He has given us His Spirit, can witness to us, to show to us a word a conviction, a reality, a substance that is just as real as the actual deliverance in the physical. For us as Christians, He does not want us to guess or just to be optimistic or just to hope, hope against hope or just hope that or pro project from out of our own despair some kind of irrational hope that things are going to be okay. He's not, he, he does not offer to us optimism, a good attitude, a kind of a positive attitude and all that kind of stuff. That all doesn't work. It can only go so far. But what God gives to us is this, faith, which is a substance. And in between my fears, my, my dangers, and God's absolute deliverance, there is something in between that I can rest upon, that is real, 
that is more than my feelings. And you and I need to have that. Or else, you will be anxious right until the time God, God delivers you. And you will never be quite sure whether He will deliver you. You'll go for your, your tests, and you'll go for your exams, you'll go for your, 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 your conflicts, and you'll go for all the, other, all the other things, and you will never quite know whether God will deliver you or not. Except that in between, as we pray and we wait upon God, and as we allow God to dig up the places where we are afraid or the, that we are anxious about, the places that make us want to just kind of react in a... In a, in a in a procrastinating way, in a kind of like push it away kind of kind of thing, in a in a denying way, in a, in 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 a way that is negative, we will actually live there, and we will be thinking what God has for us is a rock. It is a substance. It is a substance. It is a substance that you can rest on, and even when it's deposited there. You cannot understand why you are so calm. You cannot understand why you are so sure that God is going to deliver you. You cannot understand why you have the energy to go for prayer meeting again and again and again and not be, you know, under spiritual attack all the time. The battle is real. The devil is real. Sickness is real and death is real. It's all real. But the question is, how real is God in the midst of that? I have to know that if all this is so real, how, how real can God be for me? I have to challenge God and, and, and challenge myself that in the, in, the, in the face of this kind of hard reality, how real? How real can you be for me? How real is this? Can it be real enough that I can continue and do my work and, 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 and carry on as if nothing has happened? Is, are you real enough to be able to answer all my fears and somehow, by some miraculous and supernatural way, calm my fears and bid my sorrow cease, as the, as the, as the hymn says. Can he? i put it to you. He can. Because God has given to us His Word and His Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is what the Bible calls, in Greek, the Arabon. We're going to have a, ma- uh, a wedding coming up soon. And, uh, and when, uh, when our brother and sister, Jamal and Monica, exchange rings, they will exchange what the Greek calls an arabon. An arabon is a deposit, a real deposit of more to come. The scripture says he has given us his spirit as an arabon, as a ring. Yeah? It's the deposit, it's the earnest of more to come. When the ring is on there, it is real. It's gold. Most of the time. Yeah? Some people like to put other things on it and all that. Candies and all that. Nuts and, 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 and all kinds of things on their rings. That, that's so called. You can do that. And you can eat it and all that. But, but really the essential thing is gold, gold is the thing. He puts a gold arabon on us which tells us that all of the Holy Spirit without measure has been given to us. And we usually <laughs> taste only a little bit of Him. What He wants to give us is Arabon enough, deposit enough, substance enough for us to be able to be, have enough peace to carry on in our way. We'll still be aware of the, 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 the unresolved issues of but we can continue. And that's what allowed me to be able to go through these years, not skipping um, daily prayer or any of the meetings that was there. Sometimes what can happen is this. We allow the settling of the soil to bring us to a new abnormal normal. And we are, as a result of that, in danger. So the Lord has, is he's here, He's digging it up. Some of us have financial difficulties. And I can see only one way in which we, are, we can be 
saved from our financial difficulties and to have a spirit of liberality. A spirit of liberty and a spirit of liberality. You know? That's the only way to break the curse. See, the devil wants to stop us from experiencing the healing and the, 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 the presence and the, and the blessing of God. He can only do that not by molesting us, but by making us do something stupid or making us sink to a lower level of existence. So instead of generosity, what we become is we become um, stingy. We become bound up by our own spirit of poverty, the fear of not having. So everything we do is based upon the fear of not having. But actually what God says, said to the children of Israel when they came in, and in Deuteronomy, He says, when you come to the promised land, you will bring your tithes to the storehouse and you will bring it and you will put it here and your children will say, what is this? Why, what is this all about? Why are you doing this? And you will tell the, your children, my father was a wandering Aramean and the Lord brought, and, and, and he, we went into Egypt. And the Lord brought us out by a, a mighty hand and outstretched arm. And he says, when you bring your tithes, you bring it, bring it to this place. And I will bless you. And I will open the windows of heaven. And you are supposed to tell your children that. Because if you do that, you will give them an inheritance of abundance. That is why Third uh, uh, John 2 says, My beloved, I wish that you will be prosper and be in health, even as your... Soul prosper. That's right, Jackie. Exactly that. When your soul prospers, then you will prosper. So that we know the goodness of God. You know what we have now? We have not sought after God. We sought after the goodness. So we have goodness of goodness. That's all. And our religion is goodness of goods. Because of the fact somehow God will bless us and all that. Yes, this is true. But that's peanuts for him because he wants us to have the goodness of God. You put God first, everything begins to flow. Amen? Now, there is something of a weakening that has taken place in our culture that we have begun to become fragmented and we've been fragmented to tribes, into people who look like us, talk like us, speak like us, and think like us. And as a result of that, what happens is this. We are fragmented from one another and we are weakened in our culture. And so, there's a way in which the word culture can be used of soil as well, you know? I'm, I'm not sure whether you've heard of this, but the word for culture not only speaks of a bacteria culture, a culture of, of a bacteria, a soup of bacteria, but also a bacteria a culture of soil. And there's a way in which the soil begins to be slowly depleted and depleted and depleted and depleted. Begins to have places for stones and for thorns to begin to choke up the roots to such an extent that you can't tell the difference between the root of the fig tree and the root of some other weed and all that. Digging up separates out those two things. And when God brings us through trials and things like that, through lack or through sickness and all that, He digs it up so that he can heal us. And he's healing you and me, but we have to respond in the right way. It's not the end of the world. It's not too late. But we don't have a lot of time. We have just enough time if we can keep pace with God. Amen? And so, so there's a way in which there are some of us who have found that as a result of the 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 entry of stones of unforgiveness, stones of stones that actually cause us to double down on our autonomy against an enemy or against someone who would incur upon our space. We actually develop this other this other way, and we develop our own sense of kind of right and wrong. But it's from a different root. It's a root that is not attached to God, doesn't come from God. So we develop our own ethics, our own culture, and our own righteousness. That's based upon a relative um, interaction between forces of good and evil that we experience 
in this world, but not in God. That's why you can never forgive. Because your justice will not allow that. Your sense of right and wrong will not allow that. And so what happens is this. The Lord has to dig it up, dig up the ground, and dig up those places. And so, and as a result of our ground becoming so degenerated down, we lose our time with God. We lose our quiet time. We lose our time with prayer. We lose resolve. We can't make promises. We can't commit ourselves to things in God because of the fact that we are afraid that our freedom will be curtailed, that we'll be put in a bind. We make promises, but we don't keep them. We don't make serious commitments in our Christian life. We do things as we feel led, so to speak, or when we feel free, or when the circumstance allows for it. And that's why I find a lot of Christians, they go according to whether the circumstance allows for it. They're not anchored by God, their commitment to God. They're anchored by the circumstances, and their circumstances are no anchor. Yeah? And so what I want to put it put to us as a church is this, the digging up and the being on time for what God's wanting to do in the future will require spiritual transactions with God that are less of the order of reading, knowing, hearing, preaching, and, and, uh, and uh, enjoying the fellowship and community of all that, but has more to do with the commitment to certain covenants that we make with God. Yeah? So if you commit yourself to growing in your spirit, man, spirit person, and you engage in, in prayer, what's going to happen is not whether you had a great prayer meeting, whether you were totally edified and somebody really spoke the word of the Lord and you got the chills and you got all the PGBGs, all that. It's not about that. I've heard people say, well, that was a great prayer meeting. The Holy Spirit moved. Then the next meeting, the Holy Spirit seemed to be quiet. And so, we are not anchored. We go by nice ones. But the thing about it is that we are anchored to nothing. We are anchored to circumstances. Because there is indeed within us a fear that will be tied down. Now, all of us have to make decisions in our lives. We have to decide what you're going to be committed to. In church, in God. Amen? You have to decide that because the things that will cause growth, the, the serious growth, I don't mean the, the nice feelings about church and all that, all the, all the great, you know, goosebumps and all, but the things that cause growth call, are caused by the cross applying in our lives. The cross creates a covenant between God and us in which, in this covenant, God will do His will when we turn up for the boring times. For the things that you fear will tie you down. Okay. He also manures it. Then we need to Colossians chapter, chapter 3. And we'll finish it. We'll have to finish it quickly. Colossians chapter 3. We've been speaking about putting on and putting off and all that. So immediately after that passage, I'd like to look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Okay? Dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Okay? So there's a way in which we need to be manured. And I want to put it to, 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 to Colossians chapter 3, that what Paul is saying is this, we need to let the Word of God dwell in us, not abundantly, not copiously, but richly. So when Paul is speaking about the Word of God, he's not talking about us being Bible nerds, in which we know a lot of scriptures, we memorize a lot of scriptures, all those are good. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the Word of God dwelling in us richly. That means it has a rich deposit, so much so that that deposit results in 
a rich spiritual life. It has bears much fruit. So dwell in us richly. Yeah, richly. That's really important. Most Christians' soil, the soil of their heart, has been depleted. They may know a lot of scriptures. They know a lot of, read the Bible, read a lot of books about it. But they are depleted because the word of God has not become rich in them. Now here the word is not rhema. It's the word logos. Okay, it means substance. The, 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 the fullness of that word of God that is in Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of the word of God. Amen? Christ is the, is the word of God embodied in a person. If you want to know what the word of God is, you don't toss the Bible to, to that person. You see Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment. The Jesus is more than what the Bible says. Yeah? The true truth of the word of God is Jesus, not just the Bible. Okay? But the Bible will point us to Jesus. So when he says, let the word of Christ, the logos of Christ, the substance of Christ, dwell in you richly, what he's saying is this. There is a deposit of what God's word is in us, and it has to be given ground to be applied and, 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 and become rich in us. The manuring comes when we are cut and we are dug, and the word of God comes to us, and it touches those roots, it touches those places. Yeah? You, in order for, for us to think in terms of the Word of God dwelling in us richly, we have to think in terms of how much of the Word of God is becoming real in our lives. Right? Real in our lives. One of the questions that we, 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 we do in our devotions a lot, that we always ask God, to, in order for us to be relentlessly, not easily deluded into thinking, wow, I got that Word, that's so, in, 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 so inspiring, I, I feel so good about it, I've got goosebumps, is to ask the question, What's preventing me from experiencing this good? The first question we ask often is, uh, what is it that you have for me? I don't just want to know about Bible. I want to know Bible, but that's not the main thing. You give me your word because you want to put the thing in me. Not words, but the thing. The thing of God in me, right? Who wants to read the Bible because of the fact that the Bible is interesting? Right? We read the Bible because of the fact the Bible points to what Jesus has given to us and is giving to us right now. So we want the Word of God to dwell in us richly. We want to say, Lord, I'm not satisfied to be inspired by these words. I'm not satisfied that these words speak to my situation. It's like, you know, sometimes in our, in our camera, or a, I'm calling it a camera, it's actually a phone. By the way, this is a phone. It's not a camera. We receive notifications. Right? The notification is not the message. The notification is the notification that you got a message. Correct? Right? Many Christians are satisfied. I got a notification. Yay! You didn't get a message. What's the message? I don't know. I got a notification. God says... I will, I will listen to what he has to speak to me. And what will he speak? He will speak peace. Some of us experience, are, are so satisfied. Oh, he's going to speak peace. What is the speaking? What is the thing that he's saying? I know it's about peace, but what is the thing that he wants to give to you? Does it make sense? So we ask the question, what prevents me? And we allow the Holy Spirit to go deeper in us. We wait upon him. And wait upon him. Until something drops in us, we know what it is that he's dealing with. Not just positively giving us something, but he says, in order for you to receive this, I've got to dig a bit on your root. I'm going to say, stop doing this. And I realized that there were many habits coming back to my cancer that I needed to break. I know there are many habits I still need to break. And these habits will be the decider on whether all this comes to pass or not. And the Lord says, I give you one year. I give you one year. It's a year of grace. It's not a year of punishment. It's a year of grace. Amen? I want to encourage you to commit yourself to things that will grow your spirit, things in the Lord. Commit yourself to these things and God is going to use this year to be a year 
that will save you and me and get us ready for what, has ha- what is next. Amen? Let us pray. Bless your name, Lord. Go ahead and, as they say, this is the business end of a message where we do business with God. He's setting us free. We don't need to be anxious. We don't have to avoid things. The glorious thing about the Christian life is that He calls us to be a people who are committed and disciplined. And He gives us that discipline. Not hardcoreness, just not being hardcore, not just that. It's just being given the grace. For I know Him whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him unto him against that day. However difficult that day will be, he will keep that which I have committed to him. What have you committed to God? Bless your name. Lord, we thank you for your presence with us and the great grace by which you say you will be with us. Thank you, Lord, for the relief to know that it's not too late. We commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.